Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or the Graham Aaron underscore Dugan. Share the show, of course. Aaron, where are you right now? Tell tell everybody where you are. Right now, I am in Miami, actually staring at the arena outside my friend's apartment window. She does not live in a bad spot, but I'm about to make my first vaccinated Europe trip. My first Europe trip, but I am vaccinated, so I leave later tonight. But I am doing my little layover podcast. Um, <laughs> session right now. <laughs> well, we got a lot of stuff planned for you today. Uh, sort of our official final sure to go incorrect and wrong and in terribly awful picks of the season. We'll give you our official picks to make it to Atlanta. We'll give you our official picks for some individual player awards, like all the boring stuff. And then we'll give you some coach of the year stuff and some maybe a, a, a heel of the year, a Marshall Henderson heel of the year award um, as well. We've got an announcement coming up in just a second. Chris Felica, the bear is going to join us from college game day. I believe it's his 26th season on college game day he'll join us a little bit later on for some gambling advice um but first aaron dugan fringe element is brought to you by jaspers uh, the summer breeze in a winter storm <laughs> that that <laughs> that's my favorite part of the show um aaron is when you try to sell people on jaspers go to jaspers of course great parking lot it's free great food great bar by four top hospitality Great place to watch the game. Great happy hour. All that great stuff. So go to Jasper's. We promised people two weeks ago an announcement on the show that we were adding a third voice to the podcast this season for the duration of the football season. Um, and so now I guess, Aaron, we we probably need to introduce this person to the show. Correct? Is that something we should do, you think? You actually have it in a real surprise this week because you faked everybody out last time. Yeah, we, we actually, actually have the surprise. We actually have it. And we'd like to welcome, proud to welcome, mad scientist, college football guru, I don't know what other titles you would like, but Stephen Godfrey joining us on the show. Stephen, how are you, sir? Good to see your face, and welcome to Fringe Element. I like how uh, six years to get a journalism <laughs> degree at Ole Miss makes me a mad scientist. That might make me a meth cook. I don't know about a mad scientist. See? And we're off. Thanks for joining us, Stephen. Good to talk to you. Uh, we'll have you on next, starting next week. No, each and every week, the main portion of our show will feature... Uh, all three of us uh, together running our yaps about college football in the SEC. And I, I don't really know what to expect, Stephen. I know I've I've done a lot of on-air work with you before. I, and Aaron mm-hmm. is certainly very familiar with your work. I've never been a sort of a, a like a co-host with you. So I'm fascinated to see how this turns out. I don't know. I have no clue what it's going to sound like each week, but I'm excited to find out. I'm just fascinated. This, this season in particular seems incredibly calm because we're leaving COVID, right? We're leaving sort of actual on-field protests. Well, we're leaving COVID at least in the fact that we know that if they don't play a game, someone will have to forfeit it, right? You have the ability to be vaccinated and actually play football this year. And then we've also had a, a decent amount of replacement head coaches. So what everyone's quietly talking about right now in college football is how calm this year in the SEC is going to be, which I don't know if you followed SEC football at all, folks. That usually means that all hell is going to break loose. So this means that something highly unexpected and or stupid uh, is going to happen. And so, you know, those are my moments. That's that, that's kind of what I live for. I think that that is, we kind of had a similar, or we'll have a similar discussion about, you know, Braden made a microcosmic example of that towards LSU. Like just when you think you've got LSU figured out, they're not going to be good. All of a sudden they're going to go 11 and one. I think that kind of goes hand in hand with what you just said. Um, Braden also told me that we all have to get matching tattoos. Is that true? Can you confirm or deny that? Uh, he said something about I believe it was like near my neck or or that like, you know, the in the movies where you pull your lip down and it's like a cult status thing. I heard I don't the know, lip like, one. It just yeah, says, we have to do that now. Well, only after a night on Broadway, though. Like we have to go to Broadway uh, and get super. Or a teardrop. Yeah. My managers. <laughs> my manager sucks. <laughs> uh, so so speaking of the craziness and this, you're, you're going to hear Aaron and I explain this a little bit later on in the episode. Like Texas A&M over Kentucky and Atlanta is what you're talking about, Stephen. Like that's what you're talking about, right? I mean, yeah, to some degree I do. I I think this is the year where a lot of people are saying like, stupidly, I might add, I think a lot of people are saying, hey, well, Alabama has to regress. No, they don't. They absolutely do not have to. We've seen them defy all the laws of of football physics before. Um, I think there are volatile states. There, There are a lot of questions in places like LSU and even Florida. Look, we are entering a year in which people think it's a given that Georgia's a playoff team. Like, what other sense of foreboding do you need? This is why I'm excited. Is because 
it's the years in which people think everything's going to be calm that this league does something incredibly weird and i do think it could be i mean i don't really think kentucky's gonna win the east but we can I mean, we can run that if you want we, we can go there I'm, i'd be more curious if kentucky can run an offense but you know we'll see look you you said weird you said foreboding. You used, yes, I did. You're using all these big words, and that, that would yeah. be Georgia crumbling to Kentucky. They they played in okay. a, a pseudo-SEC East Championship game just a couple of years ago in Lexington, okay. and Georgia dominated. This might be the best, and you'll hear Chris Felica say this later, this might be the best yep. offense Mark Stoops has ever had. So I'm just saying. Okay. I mean, we can break down Kentucky if you want, because I also am very curious if Mark Stoops is going to let an offensive coordinator be an offensive coordinator. Isn't that funny right now in the East, how many issues we have with that, where you have an offensive-minded guy in Dan Mullen who has clear issues with the defensive coordinator he probably should have fired. The giant question around the Heisman and the entire league race is whether or not Kirby's going to let his OC and his quarterback do the thing that everyone thinks they should do, right, and evolve past being – like Kirby looks at a national title blueprint, and and I, I just assume he looks at all of the Alabama before Kiffin, right? All of the giant body middle linebackers playing really because that's what he coached. That's what he did. And then we're just going to run the ball. Right. It's funny. You point this out. I hadn't really thought about it. Then you go to Kentucky and it's like, well, Eddie Grant did whatever Mark Stoops asked him to do. If, I mean, literally, if it was just like if they ran a single wing, they would do it to help the defense. And so now it's like, is Kentucky going to be an offensively led team? I don't know. It's going to be very interesting. Well, I will get all of your official final like in stone sure to go wrong predictions next week on the show. When you join us fully, Steven, we are very, very grateful for your time this year. We do appreciate it and are looking forward to um, listening to all these wonderful nuggets of wisdom all season long. We do appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. I I couldn't be happier. Thanks, Steven. (laughs) So there you have it, Aaron, our huge announcement. Steven Godfrey will be joining us each and every week for the vast majority of the podcast here on Fringe Element. Very excited about Steven. Yes, he always has a different take, not only than you and I, but that really than anyone, because he just sees the game and sees the sport differently, and it's extremely fun to listen to. Um, and it'll be an interesting dynamic with the three of us, the new three amigos. Yeah, it's going to be a ton of fun, and uh, we do appreciate him joining us. Chris Felica coming up a little bit later on, but let's get on with the regularly scheduled program, shall we, Aaron? We shall. All right, Aaron, let's get to our official final predictions. Sure to, of course, to be perfect. No mistakes. Every single thing we're about to say is going to be absolutely correct and and accurate for all of 2021. You know, I kind of sort of won this competition last year. Do you remember that? Because you picked Bama to go undefeated and I did not. You were like, Bama, everyone will lose a game. Everyone will lose a game. Remember that? No, you're right. But I did pick Florida to win the East. So That's true. And I picked Georgia. Okay. So we're we'll even. call it. We're even. We're All even. Right, so it's one to one heading into 2021 on Fringe Element. And our official predictions, by the way, of course, Chris Felica, the bear, going to join us a little bit later on. And we'll get to best bets coming up in just a minute. We've got all kinds of overs and unders and win totals and odds for Heisman and all kinds of stuff we'll get to. Um, just sort of interesting stuff. We've got the Marshall Henderson Award that we will give away. <laughs> our, our preseason Marshall Henderson Award for heel of the year. You don't SEC. want this award. <laughs> I don't. Well, it means you're probably pretty good. Marshall Henderson did win an SEC title, but it means people probably hate you. So <laughs> there's that. Yeah, 100%. There's that to consider. Um, most impactful player of the season is sort of our own award. We're, we're kind of giving out as a preseason award just to say this is the guy I think will have the biggest impact on the race in the SEC potentially. So we'll give that out. We've got offensive. We'll do all the regular ones, offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year, coach of the year. Uh, But of course, let's begin with our final predictions. These are final predictions. When we look back at the end of the season, these are the ones that we have to sort of hold ourselves accountable, Aaron. Okay. You can hold Mm -hmm. me accountable. I will hold you accountable. There's not a whole lot to really discuss here (laughs) when it comes to like, I've really tried hard to find sleepers to move up a slot or two or down I know. Did you feel like this was easy? It was. That's a, that's a great question. Um, I have like a flip flop, like one flip flop on each side and that's it. E- easy in the sense that I feel like I already knew what I thought, but difficult in the sense that, you know, it's, there's something that's going to be wrong here, right? Like we know we're going to get something wrong and trying to figure out what that thing is, is always the toughest this type of show when we're sort of doing predictions, it's always like, man, which one am I going to go out on? Am I going to pick AM to win the West? That was honestly a really artistic, just like very abstract 
little spiel you just went on. You're like, what are you thinking about how you're feeling and how are you feeling about what you're thinking and whatever. I'm like, I kind of sort of followed it, but let's give it a go. All right. Well, let's you, you, you're up, you're up first here. Your predictions are on the East. You're you're, you're on the clock. We'll start in the East. Of course, George is the heavy favorite. What is your final? They are minus 450 to win the East. What is your final order of finish in the SEC East? Aaron Dugan. Okay. I'm going Georgia is a clear front runner to me. I think that the only team that even possibly has, and, and this is also the the line too, but the only team that even has possibly could get close is Florida, although I don't think that will happen. So those are staying in one and two, which is how they're ranked right now, according to all, all of the charts that you'll see. And then I'm flip-flopping Missouri and Kentucky. So for me, it goes Georgia, Florida. I'm putting Kentucky above Mizzou, then Tennessee, and then to me, South Carolina and and Vandy are are definitely the bottom two. Although I will say the fact that Tennessee and South Carolina were so far from each other when we were looking at all like the betting statistics, that surprised me a little bit because Tennessee was plus twenty two hundred and South Carolina was plus eight thousand. So I thought that gap, I thought that was a big jump. I don't know how you feel about that, but my order is the same. Although I have can except for it's Georgia, Florida, and then Kentucky and before Mizzou. Mizzou, Tennessee, South Carolina, Vandy. Yeah, that is a huge gap. And I I think South Carolina and Tennessee are much closer together. Tennessee has major issues on defense. Not sure what the quarterback's going to look like. We sort of trust the coaching staff to create some semblance of offense. South Carolina's got some really good talent. If you listen to last week's episode with Josh Kendall, of course, he talked a lot about South Carolina's talent on that defensive line. I can't can't go out, you you know, I don't want to say you stole my thunder because I also agree with you. I, I would have Kentucky ahead of Missouri. I'm I'm this close to picking Kentucky to finish second. I'm this close because what I'm trying to find is where is Vegas wrong? Where are the experts wrong? Where's Athlon Sports wrong? Where are we wrong? Certainly Florida could challenge Georgia. There's no question. That's where people could be wrong. Could Kentucky jump into that top tier or Missouri? We could absolutely be wrong. And one of those two teams could be good enough. I do not think anyone is going to be wrong about Tennessee, South Carolina, or Vanderbilt. I think those are the three worst teams in the league. I don't see enough talent on any of those three rosters to do much of anything other than maybe pull an upset or two. So yeah. I've, got, I've got Georgia one, Florida two, Kentucky three, Missouri four, Tennessee five, South Carolina six, and Vanderbilt seven. And that is so boring for our listeners because we are exactly the same. <laughs> well, let me ask you another question. Missouri and Kentucky are almost... Or you know, are ranked very closely. Mizzou being plus sixteen hundred and Kentucky being plus eighteen. But I would also argue that there is a much larger gap between Kentucky and Tennessee than what this shows, because I, I think the fact that Kentucky is that much close, Tennessee is way closer to South Carolina in terms of where their season is going to go than Kentucky, and they are significantly different here so well so south carolina explain this you're the betting guy so explain this (laughs) south carolina's uh, uh, win total is four in vegas tennessee's is six kentucky's is seven uh i i don't like south carolina or tennessee to finish over either of those totals no Uh, maybe south carolina could get to five actually maybe but i don't think tennessee's gonna win seven regular season games and you have to get to seven regular season games to win that bet on tennessee and i just don't see it I mm-hmm. like to, to, and we'll get to best bets later, but I, I like the over on the Kentucky seven. I think their schedule sets up. So I agree. I think the gap, I, I think Kentucky should be somewhere in that like plus 900 range, like mm-hmm. clearly not on the same tier as Florida, but clearly better than the bottom tier of, of the, of the division. So I, I don't know. I think Kentucky's, I think the stability, the defense, the talent, the offensive line, new coordinator on offense. If they get a quarterback that actually creates a little, balance on offense i think this kentucky team is super dangerous and i like their schedule i think it sets up well if they beat missouri they got a chance to beat florida we've seen them do it before they, they their schedule sets up better than missouri i like kentucky a lot so i and because of all the factors that they have in place because they do have such a strong like they they have such a strong like cornerstone for lack of a better word to work off of it's going to give them a little bit more leeway to you know make the make the quarterback situation a little bit more comfortable. So I just, we talked, you and I talked a lot in the off season about Kentucky being sneaky good. And I think yep. we're about to see that play out. I just can't believe it's almost already um, <laughs> the first week of the season, but if people are shocked by Kentucky, I don't really think they should be. No, I agree with you. And they have as good a wide receiver running back combination as anybody in the league. 
with Chris Rodriguez and Wandale Robinson, if they can, it's it's again, if Lee and Cohen and the quarterback are on the same page, this team doesn't have a weakness. They don't have a weakness. And I mean, I know that's a huge if I, I get it. It's a huge if now, how close is Florida to Georgia is another question we could ask here. I, I think there's just so many questions on defense for Florida and Emory Jones that I think it's, it's too easy to pick Georgia. So, but I, I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if Florida at the time the cocktail party rolls around that Florida's not on par with Georgia. I wouldn't be surprised with that at all. No. And Florida is just, again, I feel like we're kind of broken records at this point, but just the different options they have on offense. I mean, Georgia is, is very strong on obviously very strong on defense and has been for a long time. So if anyone can challenge them in terms of putting points up, it would be Georgia, but then Georgia also has to answer by putting points up. And that's going to be very contingent upon what JT Daniels is, is able to do. And are we going to see, you know, him reach whatever potential that, you know, a lot of people think that he has, I I don't know. I I'm agree with you. I think Florida has a lot of unknowns still. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. It's the Georgia offensive line that that makes me not go, you know what? I think Georgia, this is their year they win the SEC. But that's getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. So Don't um, get off your own schedule, Brad. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it says here, final predictions, then player of the year, coach of the year. It's right here it's in the email. It says so right here. <laughs> Marshall Henderson Award for the heel in the SEC. All right. SEC West, Bama minus 425 to win the, the division. Go for it, Dukes. <laughs> I mean, this is there, you could, I, here's a, if you if you want to know where there could be a shakeup where we miss on something, don't be surprised if like two, one or two of the bottom three teams in this division aren't, aren't much better than we think. Yeah, that, that's what I would say. There, there's potential there. Right. That's like the, the the only spice we can really add to to this. Mine's Alabama, A and M, Ole Miss, Ooh. LSU, Auburn, Mississippi State, Arkansas. Although I could see. Arkansas and Mississippi State flipping, if anything else, but I still have Arkansas in the last spot. I put Ole Miss above LSU because I think that even though on we've talked about how chaotic it is down there, I think that there are some, I'm an intangibles, you know, woo-woo, kind of crunchy, like vibes person in some ways. And I'm also really basic, so it's tough. So you're like, like you're like a hippie who's also Karen. Like, is that what's happening here? No, not Karen. That's like Karen's Karen. It's like you Karen's always like, make Karen's fun like of me because I'm like annoying. going out and like doing stuff and dressed up and Being hanging fun. out with people that you think are cool or famous or whatever. But I'm also <laughs> like a yogi vibes person. Okay, I'm gonna stop talking about this. But I think there's a lot of shit under the radar that just LSU is just, I don't think clicking where all it needs to. There were some, there are leadership problems on within the team, within the locker room in the past couple of years. There were obviously problems with the leadership there. I just think that that has a larger effect than statistics or lines sometimes show. So I'm dropping LSU and putting Ole Miss before them, then Auburn. I think LSU and Auburn to me are much more on the same level in terms of we don't really exactly know what to expect. And then Mississippi State and Arkansas are definitely those last two spots. Although I do think that those could flip-flop. So why are you mad? I'm mad at LSU because I have been all year um, for, a, for a variety of reasons. Um, the, the, there's some logical like human element reasons there, but also because I can't figure them out. And part part of me says that when I find a team like this, you know, doing this as long as I have, when I find a team like this, that I, things don't line up, right? Things just aren't, you don't know what's going to happen. They're frustrating to, to study in the preseason. I've been staring at their schedule for three straight days. And I'm just like, this schedule, it sets up so well for them. And I, I, like you agree that it's just, I don't see, ta- I mean, I think Max Johnson is going to be good, but I don't know what to make of the quarterback. I don't know what to make of the two coordinators. I don't know what to make of the roster turnover. There's going to be a slight reset from COVID slash losing 20 starters from the national championship team. So they're going to be better. They're over under is eight for win total. I normally I would, wouldn't even hesitate. And I would take the over to get for them to get to nine and three, but because I think that, the, that it's a dumpster fire and be, this is, this is my logic here because I think it's a dumpster fire. And because I agree with all of the things you're talking about leadership and chaos and questions, I think they're probably going to go 11 and one. Like that's where I'm at with the LSU. I think I think this is a, a about to implode, and so of course they're going to pull it all together and do something. <laughs> they LSU is the new Auburn. I want to disagree with you so very badly, but I can't. 
they get Auburn at home. They get Florida at home. They get Arkansas and AM at home. Their non-conference schedule is manageable. They should win every all four non-conference games. Mississippi State, Kentucky, Ole Miss on the road. Those are winnable games. Like it's just, I mean, you yeah. circle Bama and you're like, all right, lost. Then what? Where's the definitive loss after that? And it's either like seven or eight games or it's no games. Yeah. I will say though. When you talk, when you look at a team like Alabama or any just almost robotically good program, the habits and the consistencies are so set in place. And I'm talking about players and coaches on a day-to-day basis, what's going on in the locker room, what you're eating, uh, who you're rooming with, are your, what your grades look like. There's such a system in place. I mean, whether it's obviously I spent a lot of time around Tim Corbin and Vanderbilt baseball, but Saban and the Ellis or an Alabama football program are a lot alike. And in order, there's so much pressure in the sec, whether or not in sec football, no matter what, that if you don't have a lot of those things as almost like muscle memory type actions and habits, you, there is not enough brain space to actively think and think through every single thing that has to happen, especially on a game day. And also LSU has a lot of younger guys that have not played even in their own stadium with the noise and the Death Valley environment. And obviously it is a plus for LSU as, as a whole, but it's also really, really loud no matter who you are if you haven't played in it, whether you're the home team or not. There are going to be guys that play at Death Valley that have played more at Death Valley than some of the guys on LSU's team this year. I just want to know what happens in the UCLA game in week one on the road in Pasadena because that's not a pushover. Do you think that's going to tell you everything you need to know? I, I think it will because I think LSU should be a LSU will be a, a favorite in that game. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if UCLA is good enough to beat them if LSU is a dumpster fire. But if LSU goes out, goes out there and runs the football and is physical and they play sound defense and they push Chip Kelly around, then that tells me all I need to know that LSU is ready to go against teams like Mississippi State, Kentucky, Ole Miss, Arkansas. Those are all swing games. And if they win all those games, they're probably going to do better than eight and four. So it's just, I, I don't, like my, my, my mind tells me like you that they are, I think Ole Miss is better. I wouldn't be surprised if Mississippi state gets them at home early in the year. Like I just, I just, but they also go, they're probably going to go 11 and one now that we've said all this. So I know. This, this is, do you see where I'm, do you see where I'm at mentally? Bama, I, I, Bama one, A&M two. My brain tells me Ole Miss three, Auburn four, LSU five. Your brain does Mississippi state six, Arkansas seven. That's what my brain tells me. Okay. I try. I lead with, I lead with my, my gut go too, but uh. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> I just got it. I mean, you're probably right. And they've got some voodoo stuff going on. There's nothing we can do about it. LSU has put some voodoo doll curse on everyone. They're going to go 11 and one. You heard it here first. Braden said it. Yeah. And I can't, I don't want that to be true because I don't think (laughs) that team is doing everything. They are not an exemplary or standout model of what I want college football to look like, but you're probably right. You do not like how they are treating the people on their campus over the years. You're saying. I don't. And that's fair. I almost went there, but I'm mad at them. So, that's okay. It'll be all right. Uh, all right. Those are our official predictions. Of course, I will pick Georgia, no, Bama over Georgia in Atlanta. Alabama wins the whole thing. They get to the playoff. By the way, minus 370 for Bama to make the playoff, plus 260. Alabama does not make the playoff. I will say this, though, teasing our best bets here. I did put $5 on Georgia to win the national championship like the day after the national title game. So as soon as Alabama won the national title, I said, I, I looked at the value. I looked at the board and I think I got Georgia at like plus 550 or something like that to win the national title. And I put Georgia down to win the national title. I don't have money on Bama winning the whole thing. I have money on Georgia winning the whole thing. You're so Betty now. Oh yeah. Very Betty. Big spender. Big spender. Five, five. Whop, five whoppers. <laughs> five, well, it wasn't, it five wasn't whoppers. like $5 on a coin toss. It was $5. Braden really, really went outside of himself and paid five dollars to bet on the national championship game. Three hundred and sixty-three <laughs> days later, <laughs> no one can hold nope. him back. Yo, Look out! Get out of the way! Get out <laughs> of the way! Um, all right, let's do uh, offensive, defensive coach of the year real quickly here. Offensive player of the year. I had a really tough time with this. Matt Corral's got a great case. It's normally a quarterback or running back. I will say this, and this is undercovered by us, and having doing the research on this. I now am very, I'm even more excited about football because the level of talent at the running back position in this conference 
is outstanding. It is outstanding. I, I mean, the, the dudes that play running back in the SEC this year, Jerion Ely, Kevin Harris, Isaiah Spiller, Aeneas Smith, Tank Bigsby, Zamir White, Chris Rodriguez, Brian Robinson, Traylon Smith, Tyler Batty. Uh, you got James Cook at Georgia, Jabari Small at Tennessee. There are a dozen studs at running back in this conference. Running backs don't normally win this award. So the boring answer is either Matt Corral, JT Daniels, or Bryce Young. Right. I will be boring and go with Bryce Young. I don't think Matt Corral, I don't think they win enough games, and I think he turns the ball over too much. I don't think Georgia wins the big game, so the safe bet is Bryce Young. It was hard for me to combine the impactful question with this question because, because very sometimes... Subtle, very subtle differences. Yeah, and it's going to be really hard and you have to take into account like offensive player of the year. It makes sense that it would be Bryce young because his team is it's Alabama, but like most impactful, he's probably won't be the most impactful player. I think that would be Matt Corral and oops, sorry, skipping around on the, on the rubric, but God. Yes, I can't work with these people. so mad. Thank God but when you coming in next week to organize all of this, Oh, yeah, right. He's going to just test two mad scientist football talk everywhere. It's not going to be more organized, but it's going to be very interesting. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with JT Daniels as offensive player of the year, even though there's some unknowns for me there, but mainly because his team actually would be more so than Ole Miss, a team that could potentially challenge or at least play Alabama in the postseason, giving him a much better shot at actually being awarded that. If I'm actually trying to guess without being as boring as Braden about who's going to be offensive player of the year, but the system around him is experienced and may set him up for that. I think the most interesting player will be Matt Corral to watch because he will be impactful and will be largely a determinant of how Ole Miss's season actually goes, whereas the other two yeah. are just pieces of the puzzle. Yeah, o- Ole Miss is, is completely dependent on that player. There's no question about that. And JT Daniels, as I've said on the show, I think is the best quarterback in the conference right now today. So I don't think that's a – I think it's a great bet. I I, I just – I just Bryce is boring. So, uh, in fact, I'm hopeful that I'm wrong about that and that Alabama takes a major step back because they lost all their best players and their coach. And I'm hopeful that – Again, just like LSU, I'm trying to will it into existence. I'm just trying to will <laughs> these things into existence. Um, who you got for defensive player of the year, Aaron? I had a hard time not going with Derek Stingley, even though there were some hurdles last year. I think he will even stand out more because of the unknowns that LSU has. It's it's really, really, if you can have a defensive player that stands out like he has, and I think he will this year, it oftentimes means that there is inconsistencies in in other parts of your game because offense almost always gets the attention. So to be a standout defensive player that people are talking about all the time in mainstream media or bystanders on the street, everybody knows the quarterback. But if you're talking about a defensive player as a normal, you know, just civilian, um, it's a pretty big deal. And just his ability and his the stats on him, if you look at them, even without with having like a little bit of an abbreviated playing time, are just off the charts. So I I couldn't help but pick him. And I think he will be a large part of LSU's either success. He'll either stand out because they're awful or he'll be part of them being really good. He might be the best football player in the SEC. So, that's, same, that's, you know, like that's not a uh, that's not a, a controversial pick at all. Uh, I'm going with Demarvin Leal, defensive lineman for Texas A&M. I think this is a guy who's going to end up being a top two or three draft pick in the NFL draft. I, I think he will be behind only a quarterback in the draft. This guy's just an absolute monster along the A&M defensive line. I think A&M. You know, we were talking about our predictions. I would not be shocked if it's AM in Florida in Atlanta. Like, I just, I wouldn't be shocked. I don't think that's that crazy of a thing to see. And if I'm gambling on one of these teams to win outside of Bama or Georgia, because the odds, you know, it doesn't make any sense to put a bet down on one of those two because you're not going to get good odds. But if I'm putting those five big whoppers down on something, I'm putting it down on AM to win the West. They get Bama at home. And if they're as good as we think their recruiting is, I think they could absolutely get to Atlanta. I think DeVar- DeMarvin Leal and that defensive line is what would do it for them if, it, if in fact, they are that good. 
And I think this is a guy who's going to have one of those seasons where it's like he just completely destroys offensive lines every single week. And he's got, you know, six, you know, whatever, like 14 sacks and three forced fumbles. And, you know, probably has some tipped pass that he catches and runs in for like an interception touchdown or something crazy like that. I just think he's a freakoid and I think he's a, a superstar. So I'll take DeMarvin Leal to be defensive player of the year. Thoughts, questions, comments, concerns? No, I mean, it's hard for me to hear you say that it's realistic for Bama to not be in Atlanta, but <laughs> if that was going to happen, I mean, yeah, <laughs> but we got, pieces. we got it. We got to say something else. Cause it's just they too got pieces. A&M has got real pieces. They've recruited at Bama's level. They've got tons of weapons. Their defensive line is there. They get Bama at home. This is the time. Haynes King has to be the guy they have that. If he is the guy they can beat Alabama, they can get to Atlanta. I, I wouldn't be, I would not be shocked if I was betting on one team to play in Atlanta and win their division, I would put five old big ones right there on Texas A&M. I will be very interested to see if, and I don't know, I, I don't dig as much into the, I don't know that much about recruiting, honestly. And not that I don't look at it, but I didn't spend my whole career and start my career like you did, Braid, digging into recruiting statistics. I don't know how many guys that Texas A&M got this last year out of the state of Texas, but I would be interested to know that considering that, they're about to have um, a little bit more competition on that side. That was just a random like question yep. that popped into my head when no, you were they, talking. They've been very good the last three to four years under Jimbo Fisher, and that will change when Texas. They're gonna have to mm -hmm. up their up their shtick when Texas joins because they can't use the old like. But you're playing an inferior brand of football anymore. You're not gonna be able to say that to Texas. You, they're gonna they're gonna be playing in the SEC. Yeah, that was kind of their mo. Friend Gentlemen is brought to you by. You do know the name of the company that we are brought to you by, right? Like we, we they pay for us to do this show every week. I do know that, but as soon as I is... say that, <laughs> as soon as I say that, I have to say the tagline that I don't know yet. That's why <laughs> we, it we scares this, me. We, we have this really strange advertising strategy where you pay us to advertise on the show and we intentionally do not use your name. <laughs> that's that's our new strategy on the program. Uh, Jaspers. <laughs> if I'm silent, you have to cut it out. That's the best part. So I can't, I've realized this like this week, if I'm silent for a long time, you're going to cut it out, which yeah. is great. Um, Jaspers, a sunny patio cocktail hour on your rainy day. It's not easy, is it? Oh, I'm not claiming it. To, I'm not the funny person. The reason this is your shtick is because you're the funny person. And not, when you do it, it's I lost it. When I not do funny it, anymore. People cringe. Jaspers with over 19,000 insurance agents across the country, <laughs> there's nowhere that they can't insure you and prevent you from mayhem. Go to Jaspers. It's a for all of by your <laughs> Oh. Okay. Well, they, they serve food. Oh, sorry. That was State Farm. That's honestly my bad. That's on me. Oh, it, it is? I don't know. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> great happy hour. Great food. Free parking. Great place to watch the game. Fantastic menu. Wonderful servers. Fantastic attitudes and vibes. It's wonderfully designed and decorated. And if you get in an accident, call Jaspers. Yeah. With, yeah. Agents everywhere protecting <laughs> you from... From anything life brings your way, Jaspers. You need flood insurance, Jaspers. <laughs> Is that we gone too far? Is this the line? I, I don't know. We'll find out. When, <laughs> we'll find out. Forward me that email when you get it. <laughs> free, free parking, great food. We don't say your name on the show. <laughs> go, go to Jaspers. The place we are referring to is, in fact, a restaurant in Nashville, and its name is Jaspers. It does a lot of things. So you should go to freaking Jaspers. <laughs> this is definitely the line. We're getting an email about this. Coach of the year, Aaron Dugan, who you got? This, this I love this one because it's never the guy who wins it. Unless it's a huge upset. I think it's Mark Stoops. Come on, you're stealing my guy. So I also could have made a case for Dan Mullen if, but that's very contingent upon how the season goes. That would be like the creative genius of football 
that somehow pulled off something insane would be Dan Mullen winning this. Mark Stoops, to me, is doing exactly what a very respected, in my mind, coach is doing, which is the slow and steady building a program the right way, putting the right coaches in place, recruiting the right guys, and following the, the rules maybe as at least as much as most of the other SEC schools do. And this to me is their potential breakout year. And I just don't, I don't see there being much getting in the way of Kentucky having a really, really good record at the end of the season. I think Dan Mullen is too much of a wild card for this award. Um, right. To and, me, and, it, it's and consistency you, and you based. And you don't win coach of the year for finishing second in the division. If you're Florida, you, you would win coach of the year. If you finish second in the division at Kentucky, that, mm-hmm. that's, that's what's up. And so, Florida, LSU, and Georgia. Give them three losses in those games, two of which are at home, two of which they could win, Florida and LSU. But give them three losses. They will be favored in every other game that they play. Their yeah. over-under is seven. I think they are. I think they have a chance to be nine and three, and he will win coach of the year. That All of it's dependent on the quarterback, but I think he's built too big of a culture, stability, defense, trench warfare. Like, I just... Like they are going to, they're going to line up against teams like South Carolina and Tennessee and Vanderbilt and Louisville, and they're just going to punch you in the face. I mean, it's going to look, it's not going to look like what we think Kentucky playing Vanderbilt or South Carolina looks like. It's going to look like what you, I think it's going to look closer to what we think of Georgia when they play a team like that. I think it's going to look light, is what they are. Yeah, I mean, I think it's yeah. going to look like what you think of Georgia lining up against South Carolina. I think that's what Kentucky's going to look like against yeah. those teams this year. And I'm proud of that program for doing it the right way and taking the long road. And I think this should be a testament to what coaches can achieve if you give them the resources and time to actually get things done because yeah. people are so short-sighted, especially donors and fans. And obviously, you have to have the right coach in place. But Mark Stoops was the right coach, and they gave him the time that he needed to do it the right way, which oftentimes does not happen in this conference. So, Did you hear that, Big Blue Nation? Fringe Element is all over the Kentucky Wildcats this year. Um, finishing third in the division, and Mark Stoops is your coach of the year, picked by both of us. So, of course, that'll happen. Um, all right, most impactful player. And I, 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 I phrase this, you can kind of take this however you want, Aaron, but I, I in my head, this was... Who, who is the swing? We did swing games last week on the show, right? Mm-hmm. Like a bunch of games yeah. that if they go one direction, it could change a season's fortunes for either team. To me, this is sort of, it's maybe I should have called it swing player, but that, that's weird. Like this is the guy, in my opinion, that could have the biggest impact on the league if he is an elite player or if he is an average player. And to me, my most impactful player, and it's almost like potential here, is Emory Jones at Florida. If he is an elite playmaker in Dan Mullen's offense and is close to as good as what Dan Mullen has had in the past, every single step of his career, almost everywhere he's coached, then Florida can absolutely beat Georgia and Florida can absolutely play in the SEC championship game and Florida can absolutely compete for an SEC title because he could be that special. If he's average, they're probably nine and three, 10 and two, and they finish maybe even eight and four. Maybe they finish behind Kentucky. Maybe they lose to Kentucky on the road because we like Kentucky so much. That's sort of how I'm defining most impactful is who's the guy that holds the conference championship race more in his hands than anybody else. And to me, that's Emory Jones. That That's who my pick is for that. And I know you're going with, and I like your pick here. And I, I think Matt Corral is absolutely. Yeah. And Matt Corral's Ole Miss is, even if they're not in contention for like, you know, being in Atlanta, most likely they could single-handedly keep somebody else out, which makes him impactful. I also wrote down Emory Jones just because it's hard not to, but mine was, it, it's gotta be Matt Corral in, in my mind, but not for, not for the reason of you're going to help your team get to the championship game in Atlanta. More like you're probably going to be good enough to potentially keep somebody out that would have otherwise been there and he and he go like without him Ole Miss is large is they're they're just not a whole lot there outside of him you're right nice skill pieces I just I don't mean to insult them I just mean without us an established star quarterback are we picking Ole Miss to go finish third in the west like probably not no we're we're they're way lower in this conversation without him um he is the glue of everything is kind of riding on him no pressure um, yeah, right. but I, 
I'm with you that they will unseat someone. They will have some kind of upset. That's in true Ole Miss fashion, much like they will probably lose a game. They shouldn't, but he will, he, I would bet will be responsible for what will potentially turn out to be a devastating loss for somebody else in the conference. So we're going to talk to Chris Felica, the bear from college game day coming up in just a minute. We're going to have a lot of gambling stuff with him. He's a big time gambler, knows his stuff. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about all these sort of team lines and, you know, win totals and all that stuff with, with Chris here coming up in just a second. But before we do that, last award here, totally fabricated, the Marshall Henderson Heel of the Year Award. Who is the biggest troll in the SEC that people love to hate at the end of the year? And it could be a player. It could be a coach. Because I have I have it down to, I think Matt Corral might qualify for this one as well. And I don't mean to say this just because it's Ole Miss and that's where Marshall Henderson went. But I don't know how it's not Lane Kiffin. I don't know how Lane Kiffin is not the Marshall Henderson heel of the year because he is going to not only beat somebody he shouldn't, if not more than one team he shouldn't, but he's probably going to do something in the process that pisses everybody off. Whether it's throwing his play sheet or tweeting at the coach or tweeting at the fans or tweeting at Katy Perry, I don't know. He's going to do something. I think Lane Kiffin gets your troll of the year, Marshall Henderson heel of the year award that's my pick it's kind of the only pick <laughs> dan, dan mullen's a great candidate as well as i mean as coaches go because he likes to he's a big heel too he is and you know it, it was gonna be one of those two i think you you won this one because you went first and it's ah. it's definitely lame but i mean there will be a player like manzel that everybody loves to hate they love to watch him and then they love to hate him as well and i don't know if that's corral because he turns the ball over a lot but he also beats you right Mm-hmm. So I think that's a guy, and he also, you know, he's gotten in fights before, <laughs> like on the field. So Corral's got plenty of uh, Marshall Henderson and Johnny Menzel to his game for sure. But you have, when I'm thinking about the past, the past year, and people just having, to me, it's like having no feel. Which I think Marshall Henderson's obnoxious, but he also just has absolutely no concept of like what's acceptable and what's good timing and like do you have any concept of what is socially acceptable in this particular situation and dan mullen could definitely give him a, hit, a run for his money on that especially after the dark Va- darth vader incident yeah, yeah the problem is neither dan mullen nor lane kiffin actually give as many fucks as they should I shouldn't say that. You should cut that out. No, you can say that. I don't. I, Too late. I already said it. Wait, you're saying they don't give. They should like care they, more. You're saying they should care no, they more, care. and they couldn't care less. They couldn't possibly care more about what they do on the field, but they couldn't possibly care any less about yep. their behavior in interviews, press conferences, <laughs> after the game, throwing their shit on the field into the air. I mean, complete wild cards. Hey. So. Hey guys, I'm Lane Kiffin. Come to Mississippi, and we're gonna play football. God, go, that was that. You, remember that UCF commercial? FIU, yes. FIU, that's what I meant. God, come, to, both, F, come to FIU, come to Boca Raton, where we're gonna throw footballs around in the air. I'll, see, it, I'll see you there. <laughs> still don't know as a videographer if that was planned or not. I, think, I couldn't tell you. I think he plans all. I think he does it all. It's all part of his. It's all part of his Marshall Henderson routine. He's Golly, brilliant. Two he's birds a, of a feather. I bet they vacation together. He's a savant on the field. And like you said, could not give two shits about what you think about him off the field. Doesn't a care. Mess. Doesn't care. I love it. I love it. I love, I love that we have coaches that do that, by the way. I'm going to, I'm going to call them out on their BS, but like, I like that they speak their mind. I'd rather you speak your mind and say something stupid than not say anything at all. It, you're not getting coach speak. It's definitely interesting. No, exactly. It's worth watching. Yeah. Give me, give me Mike Leach and Sam Pittman and Eli Drinkwitz and Damon. We got some good coaches in this league right now that are on we the do. microphone. I just wish one of them was as funny as Spurrier. That's what we're missing. It's like, this is just them just missing the mark and not caring. So it's funny, but it's not like yeah, actual okay. humor funny. I missed that part. Well, be funnier. Spurrier was brilliant at drawing up plays, but he wasted all of his time on jokes that he could have been using on recruiting. He just never recruited. That was, that was his problem. He's um, busy. All right. all right. So a lot of gambling stuff coming up here real quickly. I'll give you some, some numbers here. Spencer Rattler is your favorite to win the Heisman plus 600 DJ Ungalale at Clemson is your, is number two at plus 750. The five sec players in the top 20 Bryce young is number three in the country at plus 900 JT Daniels is number four in the country at plus 1200 Matt Corral is 12th at plus 3,500. 
Uh, Brian Robinson Jr., the tailback at Alabama, number 13, never started, but plus he's 13th in the country in the Heisman race at plus 3,500. And Emory Jones is 16th in the country at plus 4,000. So that's just some random uh, Heisman numbers there. Uh, I bet on two people. Again, five big whoppers there. I put it on um, Sam Howell, North Carolina, plus 1,400. And Keaton Slovis, the quarterback at USC, plus 2,800. Now we will ask about all of these win totals and some of these betting numbers with Chris Felica to give you a betting preview of the SEC in 2021. So uh, excited about Stephen Godfrey, Aaron. Can't can't wait. So happy that he's here. It's going to be awesome. Just absolutely love talking to the guy, and he's going to be with us every single week all throughout the entirety of the college football season. So welcome, Stephen Godfrey, to Fringe Element. We do appreciate it. Uh, he's lived his entire life in the fringe, so he, he, he'll be very comfortable. <laughs> be very We're all very different, too. So it'll be... A, hopefully a really good dynamic, but I know it'll be fun. So when we return my conversation with the great bear, Chris Felica from ESPN's college game day. Chris, always a pleasure, man. Great to see your face. Football's right around the corner. And before we get into some of the gambling stuff and some of the teams that I have no clue about in the SEC this year, uh, I just want to, I'm curious what you are most looking forward to on the football field in the SEC, we, we, we know about Bama. We know about the projected orders and the Vegas odds to win mm-hmm. all this stuff. What are you genuinely the most interested in seeing in the SEC in 2021? I, I think there are two things. I think number one is, uh, can Texas A&M meet the expectations and the, and the so-called hype that a lot of people have uh, for the Aggies this year when they get Alabama at Cal Field? Uh, in October in a massive game. And it's no secret that the Aggies record in these big hype games where they're highly ranked and their opponent is highly ranked. It's not been very good. Uh, it should be an A&M defense. It should be really, really good. It should be a really good running game. Is that going to be enough uh, to dethrone Alabama at Kyle Field in October? So that's number one. Uh, and then number two is what will Georgia look like uh, at least early in the season without uh, George Pickens at wide receiver, and now seemingly without Eric Gilbert uh, for the time being, unless he's able to, to come back. Uh, I have high expectations for Georgia. A lot of people have high expectations for Georgia. Can the, the, the Bulldogs uh, beat Clemson or at least keep it close early in the year and then get back to the SEC championship game and potentially uh, earn their way into the playoff? It's fascinating because I'm with you on this. Like, which team is closer to Alabama is sort of the most interesting thing. Certainly, Florida is down there lurking, and I'll mm-hmm. I'll get to whatever the hell's happening in Baton Rouge in a second. <laughs> but but I could you make the case that getting Alabama at home earlier in the year is actually a better situation than having knowing that if you play them in Atlanta that they're they're clicking on all cylinders because that's when Georgia would face them. So if I were to say who's got a better chance to beat them and dethrone them. Could you argue that it's A&M? It, it, it's interesting. I, I would probably lean towards that, even though I think Georgia is better than Texas A&M. Uh, but, but like you said, it's earlier part in the year on the road. Uh, maybe Bryce Young isn't fully there yet. Maybe the pieces on offense aren't fully there yet. We know it, it's, it's interesting because Alabama, I think this year, uh, could be a t- type of team that Nick Saban likes a little bit more because it's not, not a team that – is necessarily going to be involved in a whole bunch of 52 to 38 type of games. It could be the defense, which really carries his team early in the year until the offense catches up. So, so I think Nick might actually like uh, this team a little bit more this year because it's more of a team that he's associated with. But I do think uh, you're right about while I think Georgia's being is better than AM, I think AM getting them earlier in the year uh, could lead to more of a potential upset shot. What is LSU? I could see them. I could see them breaking apart and doing an Auburn thing, you know, and finishing fifth in the division. And then you look at their schedule and you go, maybe they're going to go ten and two or eleven and one and totally debunk all of the the, the mythology. What, what the hell is LSU this year? I would lean more towards the Auburn part. Uh, I think they're trying to recreate uh, the magic on the offensive side of the ball by bringing in a couple of Joe Brady disciples. But who are they at quarterback? With the injuries of Big deal there. We know they've got wide receivers who are good. Uh, the running game, like like Emory, those guys, are they really difference makers at running back? I mean, how, how much did we see last year uh, that they missed Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? Uh, so 
I'm a little concerned about Auburn. Will the will the change at coordinator be enough? We hear about how great this LSU secondary is, and uh, Stingley being one of the one of the better defensive players in the country. But they couldn't stop the pass to save their lives last year. Now Polini's out, and new coordinator in, so maybe that will will be better. But I have my concerns about LSU, and I, I would I would lean more towards eight and four ish type LSU than 11 and one going to Tuscaloosa and potentially challenging uh, Alabama for the SEC West. You know, if I, if I were to answer the first question that I asked you about top storyline, like my heart wants it to be A&M in Georgia, but like my head says, it's probably just, <laughs> it's probably just Bama. Mm-hmm. What I, what, what I'm really genuinely probably the most interested in is this middle tier of teams that all have tons of upside I'll go Ole Miss, Auburn, Kentucky, Missouri. Let's put those four in there. And maybe you could you could throw LSU into that group as well to some degree. Uh, somebody is going to jump up and challenge. I love Kentucky. I love their schedule. I love their stability. I love what how they're made. I Certainly there's a, an offensive coordinator and a quarterback question. Of those teams, who do you like to be sort of the team that jumps up, starts beating people we don't expect, and is in this race, a division race, maybe deeper into November than we thought? I think Kentucky has an excellent chance to potentially finish second uh, in, in the SEC East. You alluded to the schedule. I'm not concerned about Cohen and now Levis uh, being, being the quarterback there. Uh, I think Levis showed in that Ohio State game a couple of years ago. He's got a ton of potential. Uh, I think with Wanda Robertson uh, being a, uh, a game breaker, I think Mark Stoops has his best offense uh, that he's had in quite some time in Lexington. And I think people just kind of underestimate this, this program. Uh, they just kind of, they, oh, there's no way he's, they're going to keep having guys drafted at the top in the first round off that defensive line, pass rushers and linebackers. But they've recruited really well. So I, I think of those teams, I think it's Kentucky who ultimately could challenge Florida uh, for that number two position in the SEC East. So you like Kentucky over the seven this year? That's yes, I do. yes, 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 I do. I think seven and five is probably the worst case scenario uh, for them. They actually earlier in the in the uh, in the spring and summer uh, when these numbers first got released, it was six and a half. They had to lay a little bit of a hefty price, but uh, uh, early bird gets the worm. So there are a lot of people out there holding Kentucky over over six and a half right now because I, I think it could even come down to that. Uh, that Louisville game at the end of the year, which, and I think Louisville, we're not going to talk about the, the SEC here, but I think Louisville's got a lot of problems this year. We'll see. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's Scott Satterfield's got an interesting job. That's, that's for sure. All right. What, what other, what other bets are you placing right now on the win totals? Do you like some teams to go under, you know, I like Tennessee maybe to go under the six. Who yeah. do you like to go under this year? Yeah. That, that, that's the one that I really like under, I got it at six and if they go seven and five, uh, so be it. That game with Pitt is certainly not a, a, uh, uh, an automatic win uh, in, in the non-conference. I don't think they're going to win a road game. Uh, obviously, the South Carolina game is, is winnable. Uh, the Vanderbilt game is winnable. But but I, I just think that I'm not sure about the coaching change with Heupel. I, I think him coming in, it, it's a total teardown. You lose what, – what what they lose, 11 guys off the two deep uh, to the transfer portal. The, the, the defense has a chance to be really, really bad. And facing some of the offenses that you're going to face, uh, not only in the SEC East, but the crossover, I think that could be a problem. And uh, I, I would agree with you. I would lean towards the under uh, with the balls. And I, the, another twin total that's out there at the South Point, uh, they posted a lot of conference-only win totals. And how is Vanderbilt winning any games in the, in, in the SEC? I just don't see it at all. Um, it's a team that, yeah, they, they maybe they got a, a, a quarterback and a wide receiver that can work, but, but but defensively, if Derek Mason couldn't get anything out of this team, I know Clark Lee's a defensive guy and he comes in, maybe they expect more. But, but this team, I think, is so far behind everyone else in this conference that I, I would look towards a, uh, Vanderbilt SEC only win total and uh, and go under there as well. I don't know which which team I like to go over yet. I kind of like walk around in circles with with Auburn and Mississippi State and Arkansas because I there's again there's things to like, there's major questions, there's talent problems where Auburn sort of has a talent you know advantage over those other two. Is there a chance one of those three teams surprises us and and actually <sighs> wins a couple games, or am I just looking for storylines here? I, I I think I think you're 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 pulling at straws here. Like I I'm. I'm not a board. I'm not a board with Auburn this year. Uh, I, I think now trying to change the 
the philosophy offensively. You got, you got a coach there that the question, obviously the million dollar question is, can a guy who spent the majority of his coaching career uh, out West come recruit? And uh, I, I think that's going to be a, a, a big issue. I, obviously defensively, they got some, they got some things to work with, especially uh uh, at linebackers, so that might be good enough to, to get them a win. But the offensive line had problems last year. Uh, quarterback play, I'm not a Bo Nix guy. Like, I don't think he's this elite difference-making quarterback in, in, in a positive way at all. And maybe the coordinator change and the coaching change will give him kind of a renewed life because clearly there were issues there last year. Uh, just look at so, a lot of the cutaways and the camera shots during games. But but I'd be surprised if uh, – of Auburn stepped up and was a, uh, a a top three, top four contender in the SEC. I I, I never thought I, w- I would say this uh, from where they were a couple of years ago, but, but I actually like all Miss Arkansas uh, more than I do yeah. Auburn in the SEC West. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think somebody's going to be better than we think for sure. Um, all right, l- looking at the whole landscape, and I know every I've gotten this question a million times. I know you have mm-hmm. as well, where it's like, oh, can a two-loss team get in? Can a second-place team get in? And it's, the answer is always like, well, it depends on what happens around the country. Um, so kind of take that answer off the table a little bit because, yeah. you know, Notre Dame maybe is out of it this year. Maybe Cincinnati. Cincinnati I, I don't see – you know, maybe they run the table, but I still don't know if they get in. My, my, the, the question is, and then with the Pac-12 maybe not having a definitive elite-level team yet – the question is, is, is there space? Because AM almost did it last year as a second-place mm-hmm. team, finishing fifth. If Georgia's only two losses are close to Clemson and to Alabama, the two best teams in the country, maybe Florida loses in the SEC championship game as a one-loss team or something like that. Is there space this year, you think? Are these teams good enough for a second SEC team to get in based on you know, the, our only losses to Bama at home, our only losses to Clemson? Do you think there's space for that, or is that, was that a thing of the past? Now, are, are you asking me personally? Do I think there's space for it? Yes, yes, because I think yeah, yes, they 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 would certainly be among the best four teams in the country. But but what have we seen from the committee in in the seven years of the college football playoff? Is their disdain for two lost teams? I mean, Georgia was better than Oklahoma a couple of years ago when when Oklahoma got in and Georgia didn't. So like the committee does not like putting two lost teams in, and that's one of the issues that I have. Uh, with scheduling all these great non-conference games right now, because if, if you lose, it hurt. The, the the risk of a loss outgains the positive of a win, uh, which is why, like, if Georgia loses that game against Clemson, uh, I think even if they were to lose to Alabama in a tight game in the SEC championship game, uh, they would be out. Now, would they still be one of the best four teams in the country? Absolutely, one hundred percent, yes. But the committee does not. Uh, the committee is not putting the best four teams in the playoff. Uh, I think they, they, they're going to look at that two in the loss column and uh, and say no. And that is ultimately why I think uh, the playoff will be expanding to get some of these uh, two loss teams in the playoffs who would be better in theory than a lot of these one loss teams that have been put uh, in, in the playoff ahead. I mean, that Stanford team in what's 2015, I think it was, you know, beat Iowa in the Rose Bowl w- w- was, it was a great team and probably deserving of, of being in, in the college football playoff. But again, the committee just did not want to put a two loss team in. Was that the one that beat Notre Dame on the final drive, like 45 second drive and beat Notre Dame, like at the end of the year? And Notre no, Dame they, 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 they beat, they beat them like a drum. Maybe I have my, maybe it was 2017. I might, I might okay, have, okay. I might have the year, the year wrong there, but <laughs> it was, it was, it was a team that, that they lost to Stanford. They lost to uh, Northwestern early in the year and in, in, in the opener and that early kickoff. And then they lost, they were upset, but uh, in, in a great game. Uh, right, against Oregon yeah. in the close games. It, it was here McCaffrey. McCaffrey went off, and they, and they wound up absolutely drubbing. Uh, I, no, it was 2015 because that was yeah, – um, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, you're I mean, right. It, was the, it was the year Michigan State made the playoff because Michigan State yep. beat Iowa in the uh, in the Big Ten Championship game, and, they, and then uh, Iowa lasted about all of 30 seconds in the Rose Bowl <laughs> uh, against the Cardinal that year. It's all it's all about the body clock, Chris. The body clock <laughs> oh gosh! For Stanford. Oh. Um, all right, man. So it's all about getting Christian McCaffrey some catch. That yeah. was one of the more amazing things. Like he didn't have a touchdown, like a rushing touchdown, I don't think, until like mid October in the yeah. yeah. So I'm sure David Shaw would like a mulligan and have an opportunity <laughs> to do that all over again. 
Well, I, I could do this for hours, man. You're yeah, one of the best. So in the biz- you're one of the best in the business. Um, how many years now on on game day are you working? Is this like, Kirk, like 37 years or what? Uh, we're, we're getting close to 30. Actually, we're closer to 37 than we are to zero, which is uh, <laughs> uh, amazing. And I never would, would have thought that would be possible in uh, in 1996 when Kirk and I started on the same year. So this is year uh, this is year 26 for me on wow. the show, which is. Uh, Kirk well, and I, which is pretty you, darn amazing. You, you guys have created an institution and it is a part of our, our culture now and uh, can't wait for it to get started here soon. Uh, always a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for your time and uh, obviously, obviously enjoy the season, my man. You, you too. We'll certainly talk again soon. That was Chris Felica. He's going to make you some money. Just do what he says, I promise you. Obviously, special thanks to Godfrey for giving us a few minutes. We can't wait to talk with him next week. Again, every single week, he'll be here on the show. Final predictions. Uh, we both have Bama over Georgia in the SEC championship game, although I really, really want to take like Texas A&M to play Kentucky just because. God, so, that'd be fun. Wouldn't that be awesome? That'd be awesome. That'd be great. Otherwise, that just about does it for the show. Um Aaron Dugan, make sure you go to where in Nashville when you want to eat and get a, get a free parking spot and <laughs> have wonderful food. Where should people go? You should go to Jasper's because it's um, I'm thrown off. I normally do a line here. Jasper's located on West End in Nashville. You should go because as they always say, um, Jasper's is living the dream with avocado ice cream cream. Uh, Crema. <laughs> wow. Now I'm going to just go die. <laughs> Please don't do that. We'd like you to return next week and host the program. Uh, Aaron, where can people follow you? Go to Jasper's, by the way. Um, Aaron underscore Dugan on the gram and the Aaron Dugan on Twitter. Oh, you can follow me at Braden Gall at 440 Sports, of course, on Twitter and Facebook at 440 Media on Instagram. Special thanks to Stephen Godfrey, Chris Felica. Aaron Dugan, my name's Braden Gall. Thank you for listening. This has been a Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network. Ciao.